Hi, welcome to the April Respiratory Care Podcast. This month's Editor's Choice by de Blasi and colleagues evaluates the impact of a leak on the function of volume-targeted modes in the neonatal animal model. They recorded blood gases, worker breathing indices, and volume delivery with three different ventilators. The ventilators differed in the site of volume measurement and the algorithm for leak compensation. The interaction of volume monitoring site, leak compensation, and volume targeting scheme is complex and results in measurable differences. In the face of a moderate leak, proximal tidal volume monitoring and leak compensation preserved minute ventilation and resulted in a lower PACO2. In an accompanying editorial, Rimsenberger discusses the relative merits of the site of volume monitoring, the accuracy of neonatal volume measures, and whether any of these variables are really what's important and to whom. He also provides cogent advice on the relative merits of bench and animal trials in evaluating ventilator performance. Zanella and co-workers describe a technique for secretion removal in intubated subjects without the use of airway suctioning. They use a method meant for removal of secretions above the endotracheal tube cuff, and they describe in a lung model combining deflation of the cuff and an artificial cough maneuver. They conducted evaluations in a tracheal model comparing cough peak flow removal of fluid below the cuff, and prevention of aspiration of fluid from above the cuff. The cough peak flow averaged 1.8 liters per second, and tracheal pressure remained at the peak level, avoiding aspiration. They suggest this maneuver could eliminate the need for airway sectioning and its attendant consequences. However, no human trials have been conducted. Lee et al. have described a similar maneuver for removal of secretions above the cuff. They review the importance of coordination of the maneuver and potential advantages and disadvantages in an accompanying editorial. Reba Sadell described the use of hammock positioning in neonates as a method of reducing pain and improving comfort. In a small group of near-term infants, they demonstrated that the hammock position resulted in a lower heart rate, higher oxygen saturation, improved sleep, and a fall in respiratory frequency compared to traditional positioning. Rastogi provides an accompanying editorial discussing these results in the light of the American Academy of Pediatrics recommendations regarding supine sleeping position on a firm surface to reduce sudden infant death syndrome. Both the authors and the editorialists agree that further prospective trials with long-term outcomes are required. Chris Afouli and colleagues evaluated dyspnea perception during exercise in a group of stable COPD subjects. They found that for a similar degree of airflow obstruction, higher dyspnea scores were related to poor exercise capacity. The authors conclude that the severity of airflow obstruction alone is less informative than assessments that include exercise limitation. The use of oscillating PEP devices to improve secretion clearance in patients with cystic fibrosis is common. O'Sullivan et al. evaluated oscillating PEP use by 21 pediatric subjects with cystic fibrosis following standardized instructions. Despite training, subjects demonstrated poor mastery of the technique. The authors conclude that the utility of oscillating PEP for airway clearance may be limited by poor user technique. Cronley and others evaluated health-related quality of life in a large number of cystic fibrosis subjects. Each subject completed a background questionnaire, health-related quality of life questionnaire, and had a pulmonary function test recorded. They reported that mental health variables, including depression and anxiety, were strongly associated with health-related quality of life and had a greater impact than FEV1 alone. These findings mirror those in other chronic diseases and highlight the importance of a holistic approach that treats the individual, just not the numbers from the disease. 
Rapid response teams for alerting patients declining condition have become commonplace. The modified early warning score is a score for detecting deterioration and the need for escalation in care. Alrami and others used a validated survey to evaluate a respiratory therapist's acceptance of the modified early warning score. They found that respiratory therapists were more likely to use the score if they were educated about its clinical relevance and had a favorable attitude toward its use. The six-minute walk test is often used to determine the functional capacity of COPD subjects. A number of methods are utilized to perform the test to accommodate limitations in physical condition or environmental constraints. Fred et al. evaluated stationary virtual reality six-minute walk tests compared to a traditional test. They found that there was a learning effect of the virtual reality method requiring at least two tests to achieve the optimum result. Frank Sedell compared the performance of six different PEP devices in a bench study. They used flows from five to 30 liters per minute and recorded the airway pressures and oscillation frequency at varying resistances. They reported that PEP devices produced small variations in performance characteristics across a range of flows and resistance settings. Devices could be classified as flow dependent and non-flow dependent devices based on the response to the flow rate. Selman and others compared incremental stepping, a six-minute constant stepping, and treadmill running test to evaluate exercise-induced bronchospasm in pediatric subjects. They found that the lower prevalence of exercise-induced bronchospasm in stepping compared to treadmill running was not due to a lower minute ventilation during the stepping method. They conclude that the stepping method might be useful as a screening test for exercise-induced bronchospasm due to the easy method and low cost but that a negative test should be confirmed in a running-based test in symptomatic subjects. High-flow nasal cannula has become a popular method of non-invasive respiratory support in recent years. Madney et al. evaluated salbutamol delivery through a large-bore nasal cannula via two nebulizers in a group of COPD subjects and in a bench study. They used urinary salbutamol levels to evaluate delivery in 12 subjects. They reported that salbutamol delivery was greater with a mesh nebulizer compared to a jet nebulizer via a large bore nasal cannula in both the clinical and bed study. Importantly, these studies did not evaluate subject response, simply drug delivery. Guanadal used semi-directed interviews to evaluate the health behaviors and perceptions of well-being in a group of adults with bronchiectasis. They reported that there were wide disparities in symptom perception and medication adherence was poor. Subjects expressed concerns related to fertility and infection risks to others. These diverse perceptions in this trial provide a roadmap for interventions in patients with bronchiectasis. Santa Cruz and others provide a systematic review of impact of age on mortality of mechanically ventilated subjects using the grade score to evaluate evidence quality. They found that while the evidence of the low, uh, was of low quality, advanced age appears to be associated with a greater mortality in mechanically ventilated subjects. We appreciate you subscribing to the Respiratory Care Podcast and look forward to your participation in the future. To receive the content of this and past issues of the journal, visit our website at www.rcjournal.com. There you can also subscribe to receive podcasts of future issues.